Well, we have pure gold in front of us. I just, each, each progress, little bit of progress we make in the Gospel of Luke is just, it just gets better and better. I love this gospel. I mean, it is so great to be looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, and uh, I'm just so privileged to get to study these passages in depth and then uh, try and bring a sense of the overflow to you. So if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 12 to 16. 12 to 16. Follow along as I read. (laughs) While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is the word of the living God. May he write its truth upon our heart. Gerhard Hansen was a Norwegian physician. In 1873, he discovered or identified the bacterium, Microbacterium leprae, as the causative agent of leprosy. Today, leprosy is also known due to Hansen's discovery as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease. The version of leprosy Hansen identified affected one's nervous system, often causing a numbness in the body. Like imagine your foot falling asleep, right? Uh, you put your foot up and it falls asleep and then you go to stand up and you can't feel it and you're like in a little wobbly. Just imagine that though lasting for months or even years and you can imagine maybe you could even be in danger of twisting your ankle if you tried to stand up or walk with a, a foot that had fallen asleep. This numbness though would lead to a person not realizing the pressure that they were putting on something or uh, if, if they were to, for instance, uh, touch something that was a hot surface, they may not feel it. And so they wouldn't have the normal recoil and they would cause great severe burns. Or maybe they might have a small itch uh, on their face and, or, or a scab and, and they would go to, to scratch it or touch it, not realizing though how hard that they were scratching and they would bore a hole into their face or their arm it would often cause there to be uh, uh, fingers and, and toes rubbed down to nubs because of uh, the, the numbness in the body. And therefore, their inability to feel. One might try to grip an object and grip it too tightly and cause damage to their hands as well. 
causing you to bleed. I mean, just think of even putting a key into a door and, and you know the right pressure to do that, but imagine pressing in so hard that it begins to press into your hand, causing bleeding, because you're gripping so hard, you don't realize it. These and many other results would come about from this numbness. Leprosy is truly a devastating disease. Yet you've probably never met someone with leprosy. Uh, I certainly have not. It's hard to estimate the, uh, the conditions, you know, 2,000 years ago regarding leprosy and its uh, contagiousness compared to today and, uh, and a lot of the medical technologies as well. Nevertheless, the point in this passage is the great devastating nature of this disease. But though you may not have met someone with leprosy, you will this morning in the passage before us. And the Old Testament speaks of leprosy a number of times. In Leviticus 13 and 14, there are stipulations in the law of Moses for the priests on what they are to do for diagnosing a leper. So chapter 13 really is about, here's how you diagnose a leper. Here's what to look for, and here's what to do if they are found to have leprosy. And then chapter 14 is the law for what do you do if someone has been cleansed from their leprosy? What kind of sacrifices do you offer after that? And so those are given. In fact, um, uh, our family in, in, in family Bible reading have been reading through Leviticus. And we read these two chapters this week in preparation for uh, this sermon. And so our kids have a little, you know, leg up maybe on you if you haven't read Leviticus 13 and 14. And they're like both fi- over 50 verses long. So I wouldn't try it right now. But let me just give you a sampling just so you can have this context in your mind, which certainly would have been in the minds of those present at this amazing encounter with this leper uh, and Jesus. And turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. And I'll just give you some select portions to get a flavor of these laws. Leviticus 13, verses one to three, we'll read. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. And the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. There's a ritual uncleanness in the Mosaic law where things that are very personal matter to God and they can cause you to be clean or unclean. Um, and so, I mean, trying to understand the, the ritual uncleanness in the Old Testament can be challenging at times, but I think it's a teaching lesson that God has for Israel. You couldn't approach uh, worship if you were ritually unclean, and it could happen in a lot of unintentional ways. One professor of mine used the illustration like this, that, that your ritual uncleanness may not come about by your personal sin, and yet nevertheless, it, it causes distance uh, between you and the worship of God. And he said, imagine if you, if you didn't take a shower for a month or a year. 
Like, would that be sin? And you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> but, but you go, well, I don't know. Is that sin? But it's certainly going to cause distance. If your spouse doesn't take a shower for a month, I would suggest that that may cause some distance between you and them. And so it is that God is teaching Israel these unclean laws are going to cause distance. And it's trying to teach them the relational impact of sin. And and so, and how everything matters to God, even things that we would consider private, like skin diseases or uh, later things of um, bodily discharges in chapter 15. All of this matters to God. God is trying to teach Israel lessons. Now, look in chapter 13 of, uh, again and look at verse 45. It says this, after there's been examination by the priest, it says, Here's the instructions, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall, uncover, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is what... Your life would look like if you were a leper. Outside the camp, isolated from the people, isolated from the normal worship of God at this time. And this would be your identity. I mean, if you have to say, unclean, unclean, whenever you come near other people, can you imagine the psychological effect that would have upon you and how you view yourself? And so this was a devastating disease. And, and then just to give you a little uh, brief foray into chapter 14, look at the first three verses of chapter 14. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And then he'll explain the process of what's to go on for these sacrifices to be made. It's kind of like a week long uh, uh, celebration and ceremony of uh, declaring this person to be clean now. Now, the Old Testament term used here in chapter 13 and 14 and other places is actually broader in its, uh, in its scope than uh, Hansen's disease. We're actually not certain whether the man in Luke 5 has Hansen's disease or some other form of leprosy. The, the term is broad enough to cover a number of skin diseases, but it doesn't really matter. That's kind of beside the point. Either way, this man's condition is severe. And Luke highlights that for us by saying that he was full of leprosy. He is in late stage leprosy. So whether it's Hansen's or another form, it is very bad. Now, those who had leprosy were really just as good as dead. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, when Miriam is cursed with leprosy, listen to what it says in Numbers 12, verses 10 to 12. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And so 
those who have leprosy are associated with being dead. It's like they're, they're half dead. It was a hopeless condition. Maybe you remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian, who is not an Israelite, and he has leprosy, and he's uh, a terrorist, and he has kidnapped an Israelite girl who is now his slave, and she goes, hey, you've got leprosy, you should go to Israel, because there's a man in Israel who can heal you of your leprosy. And so he's like, okay. And so he goes to the king of Israel, and he seeks cleansing, and here's what the king of Israel says to him in 2 Kings 5, verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. He's like, what? This guy is requesting that I cleanse him from leprosy? Am I God? Only God can cleanse from leprosy. And so you can see how people viewed this disease and how devastating it was, how severe. Josephus, the Jewish historian, summed it up by saying that lepers were treated, quote, as if they were, in effect, dead men. But why does Luke include this here? Why put this here? Well, he's in the midst of demonstrating the authority of Jesus. We've already seen that on a number of occasions. But here we're going to see Jesus' authority over leprosy. And then next week, we'll see Jesus' authority to forgive sins as he heals a paralytic. And Jesus' authority is being highlighted in these sections. But not only that, leprosy, as you've already begun to see, is often closely associated with sin. Now, it's not to say that the person who has leprosy sinned and, and therefore is being punished with leprosy. That is sometimes what happens, but it's not always the case. And don't be like Job's friends. You know, you see someone with leprosy, you sinned, right? Of course, every uh, disorder like this comes from Adam's sin, but, 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 the, but it was closely associated with sin. We already saw Miriam made leprous for sinfully opposing Moses. David in 2 Samuel curses Joab in his father's house with a request that they would be leprous. Uh, Naaman, uh, we saw, was cleansed of his leprosy, but then the servant of Elijah is, um, is, is a Gehazi. Uh, the, the prophet says, hey, Naaman wants to pay him for healing him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want any payment. So he sends him on his way. Gehazi goes out and says, hey, I think we changed our mind. Uh, I'll take some payment. And so he gets paid, and Naaman's like, okay. And he gets cursed with leprosy. So it's like, okay, Naaman's cured of his leprosy, but you tried to capitalize on it and take glory for yourself or take glory from God, and so now you will have leprosy. Uzziah, the king of Israel, is cursed with leprosy because of his pride. And so you see all these stories. These, these are the stories in people's minds. As you come to the context of Luke 5, this is how people viewed leprosy, closely associated with sin. R.C. Trench described the leper as, quote, a parable of sin, an outward and visible sign of innermost spiritual corruption. So leprosy becomes this parable of sin. It becomes this incredible illustration of the devastating effects of, of sin upon our lives, the disease of sin. It's the perfect picture of the condition of the sinner and the disease of sin. 
a disease that comes with relational implications, as does leprosy. It separates one from God and the people of God. Leprosy is like sin in the following ways. It goes from the inside out. It is contagious. It is numbing. It is destructive. It will kill you. And if you saw yourself rightly, you would cry out, unclean, unclean. And so what we see in this passage is a perfect picture of the disease of sin and the cleansing only Jesus can bring. And so we're going to look at this in three, three sections here, three sections, as we look at this cleansing of a leper. First, let's consider the confidence Jesus gives to desperate sinners. The confidence Jesus gives to desperate sinners in verse 12. Look there, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I'll give you some sub points here. First one is a helpless man. A helpless man. Now, we have to observe the text really carefully in this story. Uh, We have to be like Sherlock Holmes here. Every detail matters. Things that others may pass over quickly a good detective of scripture will pay careful attention to and remember for future use. And so it is, even as we begin this, in this first phrase, you see he, he was in one of the cities. That's important. Hold on to that. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what city it was, but that's irrelevant. The fact simply that Jesus is in a city is significant for this story. Notice the next phrase. There came a man full of, of leprosy. And ESV leaves out the word behold, uh, which is kind of unfortunate uh, because this truly would have been a behold moment. And the idea is behold, there came a man full of leprosy. Look at this. Can you believe this? A man coming with leprosy. Now, this is why it matters that Jesus is in a city because this is unheard of. Here's a man with leprosy entering into a city. Lepers were forced to live outside of the cities. They were quarantined. Remember that? When we used to quarantine the sick? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, They were the separated ones. They were quarantined from the worship of God and the people of God. Now, if you go back to Numbers chapter 5, Numbers chapter 5, and verses 2 and 3, it says this. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. Why put them outside the camp? Well, God wants to teach them they are to be put out of the camp because God dwells in the camp. And this causes a separation. God is holy. And so this is a picture for Israel of the way ceremonial defilement leads to distance from God and his people. To to see a contrast between this man, look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. 
before he enters the village, it means he's outside of the village, a bunch of lepers come up and they start yelling at him. They stand at a distance though. This is totally different from the man in our story. Theirs was the normal practice. This man is acting in complete disregard for the law. What would lead him to such lengths to disregard the law like this? I think the answer is simple. His condition had become so desperate, so desperate, that this was his last resort. This was his only hope. He is in utter desperation. One writer said, desperation joined with conviction and produced a recklessness that drove him in spite of all hindrances and barriers to Jesus. Luke emphasizes how severe his condition was. He was full of leprosy, late stage. He's desperate. We've already said it a number of times, but two major reasons he's so desperate. The severity of it, it, of his condition, is that it's incurable. And second, in Israel, you were outside. You were separated from the regular worship of God, from the people. Religious leaders made up some extra laws for the, for the lepers. A leper could not get within six feet of another. If, he were, if it was windy out, it was 150 feet. One leader spoke of throwing rocks at lepers to keep them at a distance. Some said that if a leper walked down a street, then all the food being sold there was unclean. You had to trash it all. Some said that if a leper simply poked his head into a home, the whole house was unclean. And so they were to be quarantined indefinitely. There was no getting out of this situation. This is a man isolated from society, he is desperate. Now, just to show you a little bit more, the desperation, this is one of my favorite stories in Kings, maybe in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings chapter 7, let me just give you a little of the background. There, there's a famine going on in the city uh, because there's a, there, the, the city is being besieged by an enemy. And so they're all locked up in the city and it's getting so bad that Mothers are debating with each other about eating their children. They are so hungry. It's so bad in the city. And there's this prophecy that, uh, that things are going to turn around. And people are mocking the prophecy because they're like, no way. It couldn't turn around. It's too bad. But then in the midst of all that, it shifts gears. And it goes outside the city gates. And in verse 3 of chapter 7 of 2 Kings, it says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. So in other words, they're, they're on the outside. It's terrible inside. They're like, what are we going to do? I mean, if we go in the city, which we can't, but even if we did, they're dying in there. They don't have any food. And they says, if we sit here, we die also. If you go in, you die. You sit here, you die. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. Those are the people who are besieging the city, the enemies. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. <laughs> I mean, what a statement. 
So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And so here, this is the, what I want to highlight. They are so desperate. That they go, all right, here's our options. Go into the city, no food, die. Stay here, die. All right, our last option, go to the enemies. And okay, they could kill us because we're, you know, part of Israel. But maybe not. Maybe they'll spare us. And so they go there, and this is, this is where the story, this is like bonus. It's just so amazing. It says, when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired us, uh, hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the, Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled to their, for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. I mean, this is the best story. It is so, it is, they're like, they go from the worst situation to going into the city and no one, they're like, no one's there. And then they're like Scrooge McDuck, like diving into the gold. And it's just like amazing. And so they are, um, and eventually what happens is they go, wait a minute, this is wrong. We can't be hoarding this all to ourselves. We have to go back and tell the people in the city that the enemy's gone. And so that's what they do. And they're like, lepers, ah, what do you guys want? And they're like, look, no, this is what happened. And it's this amazing victory that God provides. But notice the, the highlight here is how desperate they were. What a, what a terrible situation they were in. They reasoned, all right, let's just go into the enemy. I mean, they might just kill us, but okay, at least we tried. That's where this man is. And, and, and this is why this is such a helpful picture for us. Because what a picture of sin this is. This is how we should feel in desperation regarding our sin. Each of us is born full of sin. Now, leprosy is like sin in that it is destructive. It kills us. It, it is disdained. It is depressing. I mean, it just saps your joy. What a life of leprosy would have been. So depressing. It is debilitating. Saps your service for God. It's deceptive in this numbness and you can't, you, you don't really know uh, this, your senses correctly. And sin is deceptive. It's distancing. It produces distance from the people of God, from God. It's disgraceful. And it's despairing. And the, can, can the leper change his spots? Can the Ethiopian, or can... Uh, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then you who are accustomed to doing evil can do good. I mean, this is a hopeless situation. The heart is desperately wicked, incurably sick. Who can know it? it this leprosy is like sin in that it's defining. It's defining. It, this would have defined this man's very existence as a leper. I mean, this is like the first thing he has to do when he introduces himself. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. It is death-dealing, and it's utterly destructive. Romans 7.24, Romans 7, Paul says about his sin, Who will deliver me from this body of death? As he thinks about his sin. We are spiritually unclean. We are therefore separated from God relationally. And so what a picture this is of sin. But despite this man's desperate condition, he comes to Jesus. 
Something about Jesus gives this man hope. This man disregards the Mosaic stipulations and in his desperation, he believes this man can heal him. He has heard about Jesus. He knows something about him. And so not only do we see a helpless man, we see a humble man. Notice how he acts as he approaches Jesus. He comes in humility. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. Matthew 8, 2, in the parallel account says he bowed down. He evidences a heart that is contrite, that's broken. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So he comes humbly before Jesus, not demanding. He recognizes who he is, but he comes as well as a hopeful man, a hopeful man. And here he demonstrates his utter confidence in Jesus to cleanse him. He says this, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. First, he addresses Jesus as Lord. He he knows something of the authority of Jesus. This man has authority. He's heard stories. He knows something about the power of Jesus. You can make me clean. Now, usually this statement would be flipped. It would be like, I know you want to, but can you? This man says, I know you can, but will you? He knows Jesus has the ability to cleanse him. He knows God doesn't owe him. He knows he doesn't deserve anything from God except judgment. And yet this man has faith. He's full of faith in the person of Christ. The object of his faith is Christ. And he realizes that it is a a proper object of faith. Jesus can cleanse him. And what desperation he has to be cleansed. It's a perfect picture of how a sinner is to approach the Savior. I mean, can you relate to this man's desperation for cleansing? When you were brought under conviction for your sin, And you just wanted to know, how can I be rid of this guilt? How can I be rid of my sin? How can I be free of this? There, there is a man who can cleanse me from every wrong I've ever done. There's a man who can bring what no one else can bring. Have you come to see that you are full of sin? As this man was full of leprosy. I wonder, if you're not there, would you come in desperation to the Savior despite what society would think? Oh, it would look so silly if I came to Christ. It would look so foolish. It would look, oh, what would people think? What would people think about me? They would think I was crazy. This man, he's beyond all that. He so desperately wants to be cleansed. He doesn't care about what anyone else is thinking anymore. He has a singular focus upon Christ. He had to come to Jesus for cleansing. If you're a believer, you you know what that's like as well. You know what it's like to have a sin that you're afraid to confess, to deal with. This man is desperate. He doesn't care anymore what other people think. He wants to be cleansed. He wants to be free of that. And so he says, I don't care what people think. I'm coming I'm coming to Christ for this cleansing. 
People get desperate when they truly feel their need and their sinfulness. And this man is, is the quintessential picture of desperation. Like this man, you may be confident in Jesus' power to cleanse you though, but maybe you question his willingness. Maybe you say, I've just sinned so many times in the same way. I know Jesus can cleanse me, but will he? Will he actually forgive me? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I've gone too far in my sin. But this man was full of leprosy, and he came. Let this scripture be for you a signal that he is willing. Let this healing be an assurance to you. He is absolutely willing to cleanse your sin. 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This man's confidence is that Jesus can make him clean. And so he disregards everything else. This man does what every sinner should do. He comes to Jesus in his desperation. He is contrite as he humbly bows before the Lord and he is confident that Jesus can cleanse him. This man can cleanse me. This is the cleansing, the confidence Jesus gives to desperate sinners. Notice second, the cleansing Jesus gives to desperate sinners. The cleansing Jesus gives to desperate sinners in verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, let's consider as we look at this verse in the next one, what we learn about Jesus here. It is a goldmine of truth about Christ. Now, first, I want you to see the purity of Jesus. The purity of Jesus. If this man entering the city was scandalous, what we're going to see next is even more so. What happens here would have sent screams and gasps throughout the crowd. The text says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This is when you go to commercial break so that your audience comes back and you see, what will happen next? (laughs) What, What happens to Jesus? I mean, Jesus could have healed this man with a word. As he comes near and bows down and says, be cleansed. I'm willing. Of course he could have done that. He heals as the centurion's son from a distance. They're in different zip codes. But not for this man. No, Jesus touches this man. And this word is even stronger than touch. It can mean he gripped him or he clung to him. Later it's used in John when Jesus is talking to Mary and he says, don't cling to me. He grabs this man. This action by Jesus is so scandalous. Touching a man with leprosy. Leviticus 5.3 says, you become unclean and guilty before the law if you touch human uncleanness. And notice the order. It doesn't say Jesus healed him and then touched him. It says that he reaches out his hand, touches him, then says, I will be cleansed, And then he's cleansed. 
He touches this man while he still has leprosy. Jesus is supposed to become unclean. No one would do this. No one would think about doing this. Just imagine the gasps. I mean, from his disciples, they're all seven back. But when Jesus touches you, he doesn't become unclean. You become clean. One friend of mine said, Jesus affects this man with the contagion of heaven. His purity passes to you and your uncleanness is taken away by him. Jesus' purity is so powerful that when he is supposed to become unclean by touching this man, he transforms this man and his purity passes to this man and cleanses him. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus is bringing this old system to an end. And this was intentional. Here is one who can reverse the system. This is not how the system works. God sets the system up. You touch an unclean person, you become unclean. Now Jesus comes and he touches an unclean person. And not only does he not become unclean, but he makes that man clean. This is totally upending the system. Here is one who can turn back the curse. This is the purity of Jesus seen in this touch. We also see the pity of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus in this touch. Mark 1, 41 describes this event and it says Jesus was moved with pity as he touched this man. This man likely had not been touched for so long. It could have been decades since he's felt any human touch. What emotion must have been present in this man? What love for Jesus must have welled up in his heart as Jesus grabs him, looks him in the eyes, and says, I will be clean. The leper had to live outside the camp, outside the gate. And so it's no surprise for us, though, that Jesus would touch this man because he's already taken on humanity. He's already entered into being a, a man and remaining God. And so he has no problem touching this man. Hebrews 13, 12 goes further though. And it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or cleanse the people through his own blood. Jesus becomes like a leper. He goes outside the gate so that he can cleanse us by his blood. Jesus bore God's wrath for sinners so that you might not be banished. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. This man couldn't defile Jesus. It worked backwards, worked into this man. Jesus does not just touch your defilement, though. He takes away your defilement and declares you righteous, and then he comes to dwell within you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here you see the pity of Jesus. I mean, we just see it over and over. The compassion of Christ. 
don't you love this man? <laughs> Aren't you, isn't your heart drawn more and more to him as you see him acting on behalf of helpless people? See, the purity of Jesus, the pity of Jesus, notice the power of Jesus. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him. I mean, this is, what a day. This man coming into town, people are backing away. I mean, remember the first week of COVID? I mean, uh, you don't, no confessions here. Were, were you cleaning off your, your, your bags from the grocery store, you know, doing this with every handle, you know, as you open the handles? Uh, and then you realize it was a little different than we first expected. But, but initially you're like, whoa, everyone's going to be dropping dead here. And as this guy walks into town and imagine if, okay, maybe like this. Imagine if cancer was communicable through the air and someone walks in with cancer and you go, whoa, and you know what it will lead to. And so that's what's happening. And they, they, they are astonished that this guy would do this. He would, he would be so unloving. And then Jesus touches the guy and they're, What's happening? And then he's healed. And what did this look like? I don't know. If he's nubby and looks really haggard and defiled, and then body parts start start forming again. And he's just, he's like a newborn baby. He's so, his skin is fresh and new. I mean, what an event to witness. Such power. And it's, it's immediate. It's instantaneous. He doesn't say, here's some lotion. Try this. Come back in seven days. <laughs> No, none of that. How discouraging if Jesus said to the man some kind of words, you know, of, oh, I'm so willing, but then sent him away in the same condition. Try harder. Try this regimen. No, Jesus has the power to change and to cleanse immediately. You see, then a strange prohibition of Jesus. Look at verse 14. He charged him to tell no one. But go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is a strange command. Don't tell anyone? Are you kidding me? Why not? There's all kinds of speculation. Why does Jesus tell him not to say anything? The simplest to me seems to be that he wants this man to have a priority. It's not never tell anyone about this. It's here's what you need to do first. Before you go out, just telling everyone, you need to go to the priests and you need to do what Moses said in Leviticus chapter 14. That's what you need to do. That's to be your priority. Obey the law. Jesus was not against the law, the true law of God. He's come to fulfill it. And so this man is going to be the fulfillment of Leviticus 14. Now, this law in Leviticus 14 has been around on the books for maybe 1,500 years at this point. And I can't prove this without a shadow of a doubt, but I don't think they ever used Leviticus 14 until this day. I don't think the priests ever went through this ceremony. Why do I say that? Well, Leviticus 13 tells the priests how to diagnose leprosy and to say that someone is unclean and tell them what to do to get away from society, how they're to act now that they're unclean. Chapter 14 says, if someone has been cleansed of leprosy, here's the sacrifices that you offer. Now, what is missing from Leviticus 13 and 14? 
There is nothing about how to be cleansed from your leprosy. The law can only condemn you. The law can only tell you you are unclean. The law does not have power to cleanse you. The law says this is the way it is. But nothing in the law says here's the regimen to go through to be cleansed. The law can condemn, but it cannot cure. The law can tell you to fly, but the gospel alone can give you wings. Imagine the priests being trained in the law, and you get to leprosy week in seminary. And you're like, okay, come on. Do we really have to learn this? Who has ever done this before? Okay, 13, I get it. We got to diagnose. 14, come on. You know, guys are not studying that hard for the exam, you know. But if you read these chapters, it is very specific. All the things you have to do, put oil in your left hand, take your right finger, put it in the oil, put it on the right ear lobe, put it on the right uh, thumb, and put it on the right toe, you know, big toe. And you're, and you're like all these things. And so you know they practiced it. You know they had to go through it and maybe practice on each other to figure out how to do it right. But did they ever do this? You think, oh, what about Miriam? That's before the law is instituted. What about Naaman? He's not a Jew. What about Uzziah? He didn't get cleansed. He was cursed. We don't have any examples of this ever being used. In fact, Jesus said earlier, hey, there were many lepers in Israel, but God didn't heal any of them except Naaman the Syrian. And so it seems to me that God just had Moses write down Leviticus 14, 1,500 years before, for this very moment, for this man. I mean, just imagine, the guy shows up. Actually, we're, we don't know if he actually did, because Mark tells us that he just went and blabbed it all. You know, he just, he couldn't do it. So did he ever make it? I don't know. But that's what Jesus wanted him to do. Imagine he shows up, he gets to the front desk, and the receptionist greets him. What can we do for you? Um, I'm, uh, I'm here to, uh, uh, to see the priest. Okay, what's your, what's your issue? Um, I, I'm a leper, and uh, I've now been cleansed. You what? I, I am, was uh, a leper, <laughs> uh, and, and now I've been, I've been cleansed. Uh, okay, please wait in this room. Uh, the priest will see you shortly. <laughs> goes in, priest comes in. So what's the issue? So I was a leper and uh, I, I've been cleansed of my leprosy. And uh, okay, uh, I'll be back just a second. He goes talks to the other priest, one of his supervisors. Uh, this guy says he's been cleansed from leprosy. Oh, really? What are we supposed to do? Uh, what, 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 where is that? Oh yeah, here it is, Leviticus. Uh, do we have form L7? You know, we got to give this guy. No, I, I don't know. Where, where do we keep those? I don't know. We've never used them. Uh, well, go make one. Go, go get one. We need one for this guy. A certificate. <laughs> I mean, they just are probably bumbling around going, what, what do we do for this? If this has never happened. How amazing that God would, Jesus is so intentional here that he would place this, this ritual for such a time as this. And why? Why do it like that? Well, here we see the proclamation of Jesus. 
proclamation of Jesus. Notice the text. It says, Jesus wanted the man to go to the priests and show himself as a testimony to them. Who is the them? It's the priests. And of course, it would expand out beyond them. But he says, I want you to go to the priests. Remind them of Leviticus 14. Have them go through this ceremony. Why? I want to testify. I want to proclaim to them what is happening right now. What would this tell them? It would tell them, Messiah is here. Fulfillment is happening. You remember when John the Baptist had some questions when he was in prison? Is Jesus really the Messiah? And you're like, what, John? Are you serious? What did Jesus send back as a message? In Luke chapter 7, verse 22, he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. John, do you want to know if I'm the Messiah? Lepers are being cleansed. This is the sign. The time of Messiah is here. And this is a testimony to the priests, a proclamation. Now they have to either receive or reject the Messiah. This is why he sends him to the priest. Certainly, yes, to obey the law of Moses. Likely is a compassionate act to allow this man back into society, to get his certificate. Right? So he goes to apply for a job, and they're like, well, wait a minute, you, you, you can't, you're the leper. And like, no, 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 here's my certificate. I'm not a leper anymore. The priest said it. It's official. Okay, you can get a job now. So this is likely a compassionate thing for him as well. But ultimately, the text says it was to witness to the priest that the Messiah has now come. And I want you to show you something. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So this is after the day of Pentecost, after Peter's two big sermons, and now they're choosing some proto-deacons here in the church. And look at this summary statement, Acts chapter six, verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder why. (laughs) I wonder why they became obedient to the faith. Not all of them, but a great many. Surely because, at least in part, Things like this. The law can tell you what to do when a leper is cleansed, but it cannot cleanse a leper. Only Christ can do that. The law cannot change you. Only Christ can change you. Yes, the law tells you your condition. It condemns you in your sin. It it says you are separate from God, but Christ can come and he can cleanse you and he can bring you near to God. This is the cleansing Jesus gives for desperate sinners. Finally, verses 15 and 16, we see the communion Jesus models for desperate sinners. The communion Jesus models for desperate sinners. Verse 15, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He continues to heal. Word spreads more and more. Proclamation goes out. 
in part due to this man, Mark 1.45 I mentioned says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So before Jesus is in the cities and people are rushing into the cities, now this man makes it difficult for Jesus to do that, that he just has to stay on the outskirts and the people are flooding out to come to him. It changes his ministry uh, method, if you will. He couldn't help himself. I mean, can you blame him? Wouldn't you want to show everyone what Jesus has done for you? I mean, don't you want to tell others what Jesus has done for you? Having cleansed you from your sin, the leprosy of the soul, well, this makes ministry booming even more for Jesus. He's more and more busy with ministry. And yet look what he makes as a priority during this time. Communion with the Father. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke loves to highlight the prayers of Jesus, his, his devotion to the Father in prayer. And while this is not a direct command for you to go out in Odessa place on a mountain and pray, it's not hard to see the example of our Lord here in prioritizing communion. He seeks an undistracted place of prayer. And there's a frequency here. The Net Bible says, yet Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. LSB says he, he, would, he himself would often slip away to desolate regions and pray. And so what a model for us of Christ seeking communion. Now, we can so easily think things are really busy this week or things are, I just got a lot to get done today. And so what might fall off your schedule? Prayer. In fact, do you put, do you, I don't know if you make like a to-do list for the day. These are the things I need to do. You know, is prayer on that list? You know, do you just put prayer on there? So it's like, yeah, this needs to happen. It's not just a background noise. It's, it's this has to happen. And, and so he, he prioritized, ministry is getting more busy, so he makes more time to pray, to make sure he is depending upon and enjoying the Father. And isn't it amazing that, that the story begins with a man who is on the outskirts, out in desolate places, and he can't get near to God, and it ends with Jesus out in desolate places having communion with God. It's a total flip-flop. J.C. Ryle, here's your weekly J.C. Ryle quote. (laughs) He's great on the Gospels. He says, why is it that there is so much apparent religious working and yet so little result in positive conversions to God? So many sermons and so few souls saved. So much machinery and yet little effect produced. So much running hither and thither and yet so few brought to Christ. Why is all this? The reply is short and simple. There's not enough private prayer. The cause of Christ does not need less working, but it does need among the workers more praying. Let us each examine ourselves and amend our ways. The most successful workmen in the Lord's vineyard are those who are like their master, often and much upon their knees. What a great story. What a great Christ-exalting passage. Here is the one who is the confidence for desperate sinners. There's something we see in Christ that we see in no one else, no other leader, no other religious figure, something in this man that we see that is captivating, that is like a tractor beam that draws the desperate to him because there and there alone can cleansing be found. There for the hopeless, there is hope. And in his cleansing, He shows himself to be so glorious, so worthy of our worship. 
And he models for us that which he has died to bring us into, communion with the Father and the Son in the Spirit. Come to God. Declare to him that you are unclean, unclean. As as we read in this hymn that we sang, if you wait until you're ready, you will never come. There is no preparation needed for you to come. You come polluted. You come the way you are. This man's full of leprosy. You're full of sin. You could do nothing to prepare yourself for Christ. You simply had to come. R. Kent Hughes says, sin controls people through two opposing lies. The first is, we are not sinners. Nothing is wrong with us. The second is, we are sinners, but we are so bad that we are beyond help. Is there great shame? Come. Is there great uncleanness? Come. Even if, you know, maybe you're thinking, wow, I'm a Christian. You know sins you need cleansing from. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Come. He wants you to come. And he has cleansing for you time and again. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Does this story not tell you that he is more than willing and able to cleanse from sin? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son and for your spirit's power at work in him, for the cleansing that you brought to this man who one day we hope to meet. Thank you for the cleansing you've brought in our lives from the disease of sin, corruption of sin. Lord, cause our hearts to thrill with delight at the condition you've brought us into of cleansing. And Lord, help us be brought to you again daily for cleansing, washing of our feet from the defilements we pick up from the world, and to know that you are certainly able and certainly willing to cleanse us. What a Savior, what a God, what a friend we have in Jesus. We thank you your grace is far more potent than our sins defiling qualities. Go with us this week in these truths and remind us of them that we would live full sprint for Christ this week with confidence in who you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's end.